Hello, welcome to the Hanky Panky Podcast. My name is Hank, and I'm here with our amazing, amazing guest, Steve. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Steve. Steve's actually the, I've talked about you in a couple episodes about how you help me with taxes. Awesome. So Steve saved my life, so shout out to you. Um, so how did you get into sex work? Uh, this is probably going to be one of the more interesting stories, or at least unusual stories compared to a lot of people, but... Um, Truthfully, it came down to honestly experimenting with my wife and doing things in the bedroom just for fun. Experimenting how? (laughs) With specific kinks and um, uh, some power exchange type play. Mm -hmm. And and so we were faceless sex workers for a little while with a little amateur clip store that got a little mini cult following, I feel like. Oh, cool. And uh, that eventually led to transitioning out of me being an accountant and her being a teacher and being full-time sex workers starting at in our late 30s, early 40s. So. That's such a cool story. <laughs> like the teacher and the accountant, come on. It's very hard. It's like the best to... real life porno. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And, and those teaching skills definitely go into her dom persona, I feel like. And your accounting. Also, you get to be submissive and help other people, too. This is true. I didn't see that part coming, but it has come up multiple times at this point. Oh, for sure. I feel like at this point, I'm referring you, which is like <laughs> not fair. But so you were an accountant for how long? So I was. I went to, I got a bachelor's degree in accounting at a college. I went into big four public accounting as an auditor for four years. I actually quit that to be a pro poker player. So that's another little twist in the story. We could talk about that later. I want to hear. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think I did that for about five years. And then I ended up going back to one of the big accounting firms for another couple of years, made manager, hopped off to a company where I was like a internal audit manager, basically. So in total, I think I spent 12 years in accounting. Holy shit. Did you like it? Um, I was very... I, th- I feel like I was very good at it, and I had a, the mind for it, but it definitely started to feel like watching paint dry after a while. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you're smart, so like for me, if I'm good at something, I kind of enjoy that I'm good at it more than what I'm doing itself sometimes, right. you know? Right. Like, I bet you were really good at it. When you guys started posting, like, clips and stuff, what were the clips of? Um, so at the time, and I guess I'll take a quick step back. This all kind of started because there was... I'm just, I'll just be honest. I, I ordered a custom video from an online dom. Amazing. For Pay like, for your porn. That's perfect. Always, always have, still do. You mm. know, I mean, it's, it's like I, I kind of am on both sides of the fence at times, um, even today. Yeah. But, um, but basically it started, that particular dom actually didn't really believe that I was playing with kink with my wife and thought that I was just making a bunch of things up. Mm wanted to talk to my wife and kind of they became like friends and in a way it was like sort of a mentorship talk on the phone or like just um, chat more over the internet like twitter dm and oh, things nice. like got her to yeah. set up a twitter account so that twitter account at the time which she had no interest in being on twitter whatsoever i mean <laughs> it, you know it's built up to a fairly decent following at this point um, nice so so the videos at, at the time i think we were playing with chastity play for the first time oh cool um Face sitting is a big niche in our store, so it's it's femdom themed in general. Mm-hmm. And can you explain for someone who doesn't know what a femdom is? Sure. Um, so I mean, basically, it's sort of an unequal, like power exchange type of relationship where, um, in this case, like my wife is the dom and is in charge. Right. And uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can go about. Um, a lot of people have a lot of different kinks. It, it, yeah. It, <laughs> it, 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 obviously, so like in in, in our case. 
things like orgasm control were a curiosity. Yeah. You know, what, what does it feel like if, if, you know, you have this like sort of privilege taken away from you and what kind of psychological impact yeah. does it have? Complete control over that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so funny because always I, I picture people like accountants and think doctors and things. I feel like a lot of people who are in control a lot in their work life love a different dynamic in the bedroom. It's very liberating from my perspective. Yeah. Um, it's definitely. What's the longest you've been restrained? What's the proper word? Been in chastity? <laughs> denied or. Yeah. Inchast- denied. Um, yeah. There, so there, uh, there's, there's some nuance to it. Like. The first time we really set up the store and all of a sudden she had fans, she kind of felt empowered by it and really kind of wanted to push it. Mm. So I did go about eight months without. <gasps> now, wow. there were ruined orgasms along the way. Yeah, which, which is, is another conversation. Which is, but, wait, so what is a ruined orgasm? When you are about to come, they stop, but you still kind of come, but they're not doing it and it doesn't feel the same? It's definitely, exactly. So if it, depending on how it's executed, it's definitely less pleasurable. It's, you kind of get left hanging, but yeah. you sort of had like a half a one. <laughs> you know, it sucks. A mini little, <laughs> yeah, like basically extreme edging. Exactly. I love edging. It's fun. We have a literal clip named that. Extreme edging? Yes. Super sick. <laughs> so eight months with some with some dibble dabbles in mm-hmm. the, and how did that make you feel? Um, honestly, like physiologically weird. Really? After a while, I mean, I, it's definitely fun to play with that. But like, I think that once you reach a certain threshold, you're just walking around just feeling painful. like something needs to happen. <laughs> You're yeah. gonna spontaneously combust eventually. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I, I like the head spaces, like along the way when you're engaging and interacting and being teased and stuff that's a lot of fun it's it, like as a submissive person is i think that's what i would call you mm-hmm. what is your favorite part of it of that particular kink in general or, oh um for for me and i think everybody's different but for me i'm way more about um the psychological play involved the mm-hmm. mind games you know i, I kind of like feeling like i'm in a chess match and i'm always going to lose <laughs> there's sort of like a biological disadvantage <laughs> like you're gonna in. compete but you're gonna lose really quickly yeah yeah or just a slow painful loss you know where i like i feel like i'm fighting back but like i have no chance obviously because there's just certain things being held over my head that i can't do anything about <laughs> that sounds kind of fun actually yeah, it's 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 genuinely liberating. I yeah. I do feel like to your point when I was in business and even now like as I'm running this business, you know, you speak to me on the side, I don't necessarily come off submissive. Like I am kind of making decisions and, and so forth, but letting that all go in a scene and letting my my headspace just kind of disappear and all of a sudden I'm just sort of giving into whatever yeah, well, I think people yeah. think that like competency and submissive are synonymous, and they're not. Like mm-hmm. people who are submissive are often very intelligent people who are really good at making decisions. Just in the bedroom, they want that type of power play. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are lifestyle submissive or whatever, and it just depends on, I guess, what you're into. But that doesn't mean you're not capable of being dominant in other aspects. I think absolutely, and, and I would agree. Like I would even consider myself a hybrid of all those things. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely lifestyle to a degree. Yeah. But, um, you know, just even in, in my kink relationships there, I, I do not want to, I'm actually insecure about sort of being labeled as a stereotypical submissive if there is such a thing, because I think people have the wrong ideas sometimes. What would you say is like a lifestyle submissive that you've, like a submissive role that you've taken on since exploring in this? When you say lifestyle? <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're aware of like basically my two primary kink relationships I would say obviously my wife who I've been filming with um, for the last six years and we have a store together 
that is more, I would say that's less of a lifestyle relationship. We've been together for over 20 years. Um, we met very vanilla. We started exploring together, but it's just would be weird for me to sort of be a lifestyle yeah. submissive to her on a day-to-day basis. Start taking it on right now. I feel like a responsibility in the household to sort of like once in a while in the bedroom, obviously, obviously like we play that way, but um, the, the most lifestyle relationship, you know, when it comes to kink I have, of course, is with Lucy. Yeah. Um, and so she's kind of steered me into parts of kink that I never thought I would go specifically when it comes to things like service, you know, like what, um, in general, like if we're, if we're like, for example, um, when we were last year in February visiting, visiting you and she had a few other things going on in town, just work wise, in effect, it was drive her wherever she needs to go, pick up, you know, food, um, I saw you holding some flowers. Yeah, yeah, I was in I was in that TikTok where we actually got the flowers for you. <laughs> that, that was day. sweet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she, basically, you know, stand here, walk behind me. You know, right, like, like be uh, of service <laughs> to me without expectation. And, and and that could mean being used in a photo shoot. It could be in a TikTok. It could just simply be. Um, I'm not feeling well. Can you get me something from the mm-hmm. store? You know, it, it, in general, it's just a very genuine relationship where right. you would take care of a person, but it, but not in the traditional way where it's sort of understood that there's like a, a power exchange ownership type of thing here right. that we both consent to, obviously. And you both get something out of. Exactly. Right. Because sometimes I think people, it's funny, uh, there's this like new phenomenon of like TikTok dominatrix, but not in the sex work way as in men who are trying to be like dominating. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll call themselves master or whatever. And they almost, they expect people to assume this submissive role, lifestyle and in the bedroom, but with no proper, you know, dominating like no it's just i expect you to do all of these things and if you don't you're not a good sub Hmm. and that's not what a that's not what the relationship should be it's a lot of trust a lot of love and a lot of care agree and i think it's like it's really sweet to see you be who you are i mean i know you as you it's not like you're submissive to every single person you meet we have many conversations you know what i mean oh absolutely but it's interesting to see someone take care of a submissive in a way that i feel like isn't portrayed often in media Mm -hmm. and I wish it happened more like I feel like even me who is definitely in this industry and and is around people who practice this I don't know a lot about it Mm -hmm. you know I don't know a lot about safe practicing kinks Um, I know about kinks that I engage in right but like I don't know about specific things and I you know last night I was talking with my girlfriend we were at this holiday party and I was showing her people who are collared and mm-hmm. I was like, I think this is so attractive. Like I, and she was like, Oh, I, I would, you could collar me. Like I would never take it off. And I was like, I love that you're eager, and I like that. But it's more than just you're wearing a pretty necklace I bought you, and it mm-hmm. isn't for everyone. But is there anything that, as a submissive, that you know, like when you are doing or are told to do, that you're like, Oh, you own me. Um. That for, feels own, own feels dramatic, but you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, no, I mean, like it does feel dramatic, and sometimes it feels like appropriately dramatic and, and and right. But like, I think you're hitting on a lot of points that that resonate for me here. I, I think that there are the types of submissives who their objective is to be owned, mm-hmm. right? They, they they could meet a dom on day one and pretty much already be working towards that or want to work towards that. And in some cases, that can end up in, with a shallow interaction because right. you don't really truly know the person. You don't know if the chemistry is going to be there. Um, I'm a person that never sought to ever be a, like, I would consider myself more of a bottom than a submissive typically. Right. And this relationship developed where I think 
interpersonally and from even just a friendship level, there was a chemistry and a bond that formed first, and that made me willing and wanting right. to. The um, trust was established. Yeah. So, so like the whole collaring thing didn't come up until well later, and it mm. wasn't something I'd ever really thought about. And te- technically, I am, you know, a collared sub at this point. What What is your What does collared mean to you? Um, to me, it's it's a it's a kink commitment, not all that different than a, a vanilla relationship, whether whether like it be a promise ring or something. Yeah, like promise that. ring or or, or or a marriage or whatever oh, you want to yes, call it. I mean, yes. it's not something that I personally take lightly. I do not. If if this, if this relationship ever fell off, I wouldn't just be like, well, need to get collared by somebody else. Right, you know I mean? <laughs> like looking to be collared. Yeah, it, it was horny, never... horny forty sub. From... <laughs> exactly. And, but to be fair to those, pe- there are people like that where maybe they're their right. That's their different. thing, though. Exactly. Right. It's exactly. more. It depends on the person. It's a very personal thing. Exactly. So I definitely don't want to speak for for all subs who. No, you, you know... can speak for yourself. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I was really scared when I started this podcast that like if I had an opinion based on my own experience that people were going to take that as like my strong like if anyone does this and it's like no I can only speak in my personal experience mm-hmm. and like you too you live this lifestyle it's it's not rude if you say it's personal to be callers for you right right but that I thought the same way and when so this is per, a personal question though mm-hmm. when you were married for all of those years having sex well, but you say vanilla sex you just mean like oh I'm laying down we're having sex there's no dynamic at all there, yeah, there was definitely, yeah, I guess there is a lot to explain here. So, yeah. so I personally, when I got married, was focused on the quality of the person. Mm. I was focused on security. I was focused on a lot of things that, like, sex was just not a high, high priority. And so I was always kink curious, but I was, I felt guilt. I felt shame. I didn't I feel mean, there's like. There's a lot of shame around it societally. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so I was actually afraid that if I opened up about my kink interests with my wife that she would freak out. She would mm. not want to even be with me. Things like that. And, and that ended up being a rational thought. But um, it took years for me to right. actually approach. So like, I would say that, honestly, our sex life in the early part of our marriage just was pretty bland. It just wasn't... Well, because it wasn't true to what you, yeah. your desires and... I definitely yeah. at least wanted to experiment or experience more than what we were. And I didn't know how to approach it. And I think that's yeah. a fairly... that's super i mean even i can experience that you Mm -hmm. know it's it's hard to communicate because sex is very vulnerable yes and especially something that like kinks feel very personal too Mm -hmm. especially if there's like a level of shame around it you know especially i know men feel a type of way about being submissive like oh you're supposed to be the alpha you're supposed to do this and there's a lot of shame centered around wanting to be a more submissive or try new things Mm -hmm. i I don't know. How did you bring up that conversation? I think for me, I started to, I felt like I definitely lived in a bubble for a long time. I grew up, you know, it wasn't like a strict Catholic family, but I did grow up Catholic. Me too. Um, That definitely (laughs) contributes to all this, you know, the internalized guilt Mm -hmm. and everything. Um, And then I went in, I just, I was a very straight era. I, I kind of followed all of the path that my parents laid out for me. Get a good education, get an accounting degree, get a, get a good job. And I just always did that and didn't feel a lot of fulfillment from it. Yeah. And little did I realize that I was already like instinctively finding ways to do other things on the side. Like I became good at poker, ended up quitting accounting to play poker. And I think that's when I started to open up. Mm. So realistically, when I drove out to Vegas for the very first time after I quit accounting, normally when I would be in busy season and all my friends are working all day, every day, 
I'm free. I'm driving across the country. I'm playing cards. I'm meeting new interesting people. Right. And I came out of my shell. And to be honest with you, um, my poker mentor, um, great guy, uh, his name's Mike. He he could be found in one of three places in Las Vegas. He was either at home sleeping, he was at the poker table, or he was at the strip club. Mm. And I was definitely a very like nervous person to be at a strip club. I just didn't feel... I can't see you in a strip. You would be very respectful, though. The, Shout the, out to that. The thing is, now I'm actually fairly comfortable in that environment because yeah. I've been around it a lot more, and I'm more comfortable. But I was just even awkward around women, to be honest. <laughs> Very. That's and, sweet, though. So I would, I mean, I would be the person who would just like politely decline dances. And then after the fifth person came around, I started to feel bad and I would get a dance even if I didn't know what to do, you know? <laughs> You're like, fine, <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it's like, it. I don't want to be a cheapskate. I am in here, you know? Yeah. Um, I'll support, I'll support, but I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so that after that, you felt it, it's like through life experience, you were like, oh, well. I can, I guess, explore in other ways. And the funny thing is my partner, I think, was almost waiting for me to branch out a little bit too because like she did not find it. She was the, her reaction was the opposite of being concerned or upset. She was like, it's kind of hot. Like, I'm you excited. Know? Let's do something. And so I think while I was out there, I spent six weeks in Vegas away from her playing poker and being in Las Vegas and doing all this stuff. And I think that she kind of was intrigued by it and I felt more comfortable just opening up because I was around much more open-minded people all of a sudden. Mm. Not everybody's goal is to just make a million dollars in accounting and buy a big house and have kids and that's it. That's right. all I used to be around. And now mm. I'm with all these like whiz kid poker players. Everybody comes from a different place. Well, let's talk a little bit about poker because mm -hmm. I know when we first talked on the phone, I used to work illegal, illegal poker games underground mm -hmm. as like the, the drink pour line sorting girl right so you started doing poker why because you were good at it or because you liked it i liked it i yeah. always liked games in general i mean i would play it, it wasn't always about gambling i mean even before poker i just liked playing games uh, i have a very analytical mathematical type of mind that um, makes sense so yeah so i just it, so to me it was just sort of a natural fit and i just started dabbling online with little five dollar tournaments and mm. things like that and i just had a lot of success really fast. Online poker. Yeah. I yep. feel like people probably picked that up a lot during COVID too. Yeah, probably. Probably. Um, I don't know if anything will ever replicate the big poker boom that happened when I first got into it, but there were, I, I did get involved in a lot of these little group poker groups where at least amongst friends, we would play little mini tournaments against each other. Oh, I probably cool. made like a thousand dollars during COVID off of my friends. Just stop. That's fun. <laughs> That's super fun. So were you mostly playing online? You would go in person too, right? I mostly played online when I was a pro. Um, because How do you become a poker pro? Anybody can be if they study the game and they can prove themselves to be profitable. And mm. so that's kind of what it was for me. I, I basically played 70,000 hands. and I could 70,000? That was before I went pro, just wow. over time. You can play multiple tables at a time, so oh, you can go it. pretty fast. Um, but I, I, at the time, I was making seventy-five dollars an hour, and I just I knew based on I did some I did some statistical analyses, yeah. figured out what my like standard deviation was, like how likely it is I could maintain that rate, and I just decided I told the partner at the accounting firm I worked at, and like I'm I'm gonna quit to play poker. Did he look at you crazy? It, the managing partner I think was stunned and confused. Some of the other partners thought it was the coolest thing ever. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I it's so out there to me not in like a why would you do that in like a holy shit you believe in yourself that much that's mm -hmm. cool to me it was it was probably one of the most important things i ever did in my life because i don't think i'm here today 
Um, like even sex work, poker prepared me for it. Mm. It was my first chance to leave the sort of establishment and just kind of get out there. Right, like making your own set of guidelines for yourself. Just completely flying, you know, on my own at that point. That and was like when I worked. I felt the same way when I, <clears throat> excuse me, started working in the strip club. Mm-hmm. Like it was like a holy shit, I guess I'm here. Okay, this is something I can do. Mm-hmm. How can I do it well? And until you dive in, you're you just don't not going to know and you're yeah. going to wonder. And I just knew I did not want to be you know, older and looking back and saying. And regret and mm-hmm. like wishing when I knew I was capable of it. I just didn't know how to. Mm-hmm. What? Tell me a crazy poker story. Well, I, I guess I should probably focus on one of the more fun. See, like crazy is what I'm having a hard time with. Like I think that one of the coolest things that I ever did in poker was cashing in the main event of the World Series of Poker. And so one of the, one of, I guess this is kind of a crazy story. There is a crazy buddy of mine who ended up being like kind of crypto rich and he would invest in me every time I played the World oh, Series of awesome. Poker. He was also the, one of the biggest class clowns from my high school. <laughs> really, really just like, j- just relentlessly sarcastic. And I am getting to a stress point in the event. I'm my third day of playing. Third in, day of, in a row? In a, well, um, you get early in the tournament, you get a few breaks because there's so many people that play it. They have to have separate day ones for people, mm. but eventually it all condenses into one room. Right. There were 7,000 players in the event. Wow. Um, to, get, to get to the money, I think you needed to finish the top 1,200 or something like that. Wow. So it took about 30 hours of poker to get to that point where you're in the money. And I was probably in the 25th hour of poker and my chips were getting a little bit low. You go home with nothing if you don't make it to that top 1,200. And I was a little nervous and I was coming back from a break. What was the buy-in? $10,000. Oh, shit. So you'd lose the 10000 if yep. you didn't. Okay. And now, in my case, I probably put up 30% of that and I had friends covering the others. Everybody was investing. So, you know, they would get a percentage back on however the much winnings. I made. Yeah. Um, but that's... But my friend had put in about a thousand of it and he messaged me. He said, Steve, if you, if you're nervous right now, just understand that if you, even if you win the whole thing, which is like $8 million, you still can't afford my second best house. <laughs> of course, of course. And, and, and that's just how obnoxious the guy is. Cause he, you know, he was in crypto early, early and just definitely one oh, of those people, shit. you know? And so I don't, I couldn't even tell you, I haven't seen him in 15 years, but he just always liked investing in my world series. That's nice of him. But he also, he also, so the, the crazy thing about that event was he just, he thought it was funny that if I ever got the hand six, nine <laughs> off suit, of course, that I need to raise it. He was the class clown exactly. for a reason. And, and, and this isn't a $10,000 buy-in tournament. And I promised him I would, but I, I figured I would do it like early in the tournament when the, the bets were very low. And if I lose a hundred chips, so be it. Right. I never got the hand early in the tournament. I ended up getting it 25 hours in with everything on the line. Mm. And I got the hand and I'm like, do I? You have to. You made a promise. I I, I literally did. Mm. And it was really, really scary because I got called by two people. And at this point, I have, I mean, probably a third of my chips just went into the pot. How much money do you think that was? A couple thousand? Um, Well, in in tournament chips, it doesn't really translate to dollars. But but let's just say if I lose the chips I have, that $10,000 is gone. Got it. And so I raise and I get called twice and and at this point you kind of have to understand hold them but three cards come out and there's an ace and I didn't hit a six I didn't hit a nine I had nothing I just had absolute garbage but because I raised people think I might have an ace and so my thought is if these two people who called me 
don't have an ace and I bet one more time, they'll both probably give me credit and they'll fold. But I don't know. One of them might have an ace. Mm. And so that's where it takes some guts. That was like, you were probably like, statistically, this is the probability of them having an uh, ace. And statistically, I'm like, I have to bet. Because yeah. if I don't bet, I'm giving up. Right. And there's a lot of chips out there and I really need those chips. And if, if one of them calls me or pushes back on me, I just have to give up and play with whatever I have left. But I did have the courage to bet and they both went fold, fold. And honestly, that probably got me through to the money bubble. That that one hand. So you the got their chips. Suit. I got their chips. I actually almost doubled my stack because mm. the blinds were really high. And, uh, you know, about five, six hours later, everybody's celebrating because we just cashed in the main event. It's, it's the moment they show on ESPN and, you know. I've never seen poker on ESPN. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't even know if it's on there anymore. But um, at the time, that's just the one moment everybody who's been playing for days, everybody wants to get to that point. Right, it's like a bucket sell, list it's, type of yeah. thing. It's like a national competition type vibe. Like, it is. Glo yeah. Global even. I mean, I've played wow. with people from everywhere. And it's a lot of fun. And you made it. So how much money did you make, if you don't mind me asking? In that one, it was just, I only made 15000 But which, still, you got 5000 more than you bought in. I did. I have friends who have done, I haven't played as much as a lot of my friends have, but I have friends who have scored for half a mil and things like that. And so I feel like small potatoes playing in the main event. No, and that's, I, them in a if I did that, I would fucking lose every doll. I would have to <laughs> sell my left arm to buy in, and then I would lose all my money. So. Well, I could coach you going in, and you might have a fighting chance. <laughs> Thank you for the attitude. <laughs> did you have a poker mentor? You said I did. I did. Um, you know, it was it was my friend my friend Mike who I mentioned to you who was in one of three places like when I when I went to, to Las Vegas. But originally he was from Brooklyn, um, and we met playing online against each other for ten dollar buy-ins, mm. and we just sort of recognized each other as the two best players at the table every time we played against each other and made friends. And I actually met him in Atlantic City. Awesome. Um, for the first time, first time I ever played in a poker room was in Atlantic City, and I met him for the first time. And then he moved to Vegas, and every time I go to Vegas now, I see him. How did you keep like? How did you stay up at poker games? Stay up? Like, do you have to stay awake the whole time? Is it like oh. an all night? Because I know the game. Honestly, my experience in poker is <laughs> not even close to professional poker. It was like people on a drug bender, and I was like totally giving everyone drugs and shots and lap dances. It wasn't like. <laughs> Your, you I've seen those types of games, though. I, I do understand what you mean. So, so yeah. those are probably cash games that you were yeah. that you were in. So, so with that, I mean, cash games you can always leave anytime you feel like it. Tournaments you can't. Mm. So in a tournament, I don't know. I mean, I would start at eleven a.m. and then around midnight, one a.m., they would let us go. And and so you're at the mercy of the tournament schedule, but. Staying awake wasn't too big of a problem. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, because I always like I I literally went to a, a poker game one time and then I went back three days later and there was the same people at the table in the same outfits like mm -hmm. still hadn't moved. Um, and I bet you saw a lot of gambling addiction when you were oh, poker, yeah. poker I mean, they're, they're poker gaming. I don't know what is it called. Playing poker. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's like anything. You have people in that in that system that are very regimented never drink never do any drugs show up sober play a very defined shift of five hours and go home you have other people who if they if they lose a thousand dollars they'll go to the blackjack table and try to get the thousand dollars back real quick and mm. they have genuine gambling issues or substance abuse issues it, but to, i could i think feel like you can kind of say that about any group for of sure people any anywhere. and any job like a lot of people i know argue like oh sex workers are on drugs and it's like have you ever been to a lawyer's office mm -hmm. like accountants are on drugs everyone's if, if, you, if people want to do drugs they're going to do drugs no matter mm -hmm. the job no matter what they're doing so that's 
I don't know, but do you think playing poker games has helped you in sex work with your professionalism and how you show up to sets? Yeah, um, that that and honestly, my accounting career probably did. It um, did. Like I. I it's funny how people look at all the different things I've done and probably think that they're all like horribly different from each other. And in many ways they are obviously, but you know, it's funny. I, I was an auditor in accounting. I left to play poker and then all of a sudden I'm making all these like very significant decisions for money all day, every day. <laughs> and I go back to accounting. I'm like, gee, it's been five years. I wonder if I still know how to audit. And I sort of realized that poker is kind of like figuring out a puzzle and figuring out what your opponent's doing and looking for the things that are outliers that don't look quite right. Auditing's the exact same thing. Yeah. You're trying to figure out if a company is trying to like be fraud, commit fraud or something like that. And I'm like, I'm looking for the fraud, just like I'm looking for the poker player who's bluffing me. I mean, it's not that different. And then it's sex work is like, you're trying to figure out everything and plan and do all the money and... Sex work, I absolutely excel when it comes to booking shoots and figuring out financial arrangements that work for everybody. Because, you know, you work with people who are big, with people who are brand new. Right. Um, some people may want to shoot trade and everybody benefits from that trade. Sometimes you might want to do a paid shoot because the person can't sell the content and that's the only way to do it. Um, sometimes we'll do an equity sharing thing that based on how much something sells, we just share the profits, you know? Oh, nice. But yeah, I mean, my accounting degree and my time um, auditing and all that stuff has really set me up well to just sort of in intuitively know how to treat people fairly. Yeah. And, and yeah, the professionalism is always there. What poker set me up for was the, it's not like sex work per se, but like there was a stigma to it. There are a lot of people that don't understand if you're a poker player, what you're doing. They think you're flipping coins for money. They think you're being reckless. Right. And sex workers get a lot of stigma for, for similar reasons. They just think that all you care about is money, that like you can't possibly enjoy what you do, yep. that you must be on drugs or something <laughs> like that. And it's it's all stereotypes that are false in most cases. Yeah. I mean, there's always the rare in each thing, but that's not the normal for both sides. You know, there's always, I mean, people are people. Right. But um, poker and poker and sex work have obvious similarities in that you're basically self-employed. You set oh, your own, yeah, you set your own schedule, um, and you're responsible for holding yourself accountable to working. You know, because I mean, I know that that was one of the issues that I had in poker. Is if I had a bad run, might take three days off, might try to. You, know, you have to have the right headspace for it. You don't want to be playing when you're distraught or something like that, and then making bad decisions and. Right. Um, that's like I mean for me sex work with burnout it's like oh yeah. how much is the appropriate time to take off I mean I guess with anyone with any job right mm -hmm. like a couple of days is fine but then to let it bleed into multiple weeks it's like fuck how do I get back exactly it's yeah. super hard and, and and there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes beyond just shooting and posting too I mean like you are obviously marketing you're obviously doing a lot of admin you're trying to figure out what platforms you're going to get on next yeah, replying to people and mm -hmm. yeah you have, what... you, have, you have fans you have you have interactions you don't want to completely drop off the face of the earth and and you might be dealing with a very significant personal matter oh they don't give yeah. a fuck no, exactly and and I see this and, and I'm not a provider right like I I perform Mm. Do you do any of the back work of it, like messaging or? I so so I will help with emails if someone is seeking a session mm. with with my partner. Um, on the initial, like I will send out like a protocol document that basically says, "Here's how we check references. Here's how, um, here's what I need from you. I need to know what type of session you want, and so forth." I'll do the upfront stuff. The moment she has a direct relationship with a person and has interacted with them, I'm never going to pretend to be her, you know, right. but, but, but I, <laughs> hey. you know, exactly. Like I don't, I don't want to, you know, m me being on the other end of it myself, you know, like I, I have, 
I've paid, you know, for content and interacted with sex workers. It would, I personally would rather make sure that I'm speaking to that person, you know? Right. And so I don't ever want to be like fraudulently like representing her on her accounts, you know? Do you ever get jealous when she works with people? Um, I think I've gotten a lot better. I, I, I wouldn't say never. I mean, I definitely <laughs> never say never. <laughs> I'm, I'm human like anyone else. And, um, I feel like at this point, a lot of a lot of these sessions that she books are just very quick in and out, you know, pretty harmless. They're like overnight stuff. Yeah, m- yeah, m- most aren't. Um, but, but at the same time, more and more she has regulars, and mm-hmm. you can tell. Like, I want her to have those types of connections with people. I have those types of connections with people, you know, on on my end, yeah. and I definitely don't want to stand in the way of anything. And frankly, those are the most like lucrative arrangements anyway, when you have somebody who will keep coming back booking multi-hour sessions. But of course there is an intimacy to that. Yeah, there is. And um, especially with the power dynamic too. I mean, mm -hmm. with any type of providing a service to someone, there's Mm -hmm. intimacy with that. Exactly. Like as we speak, as we're doing this um, podcast, um, she has a three hour session right now with a regular that she's seen multiple times. What are, what does she normally do? Just dominating sessions or? Yeah. Um, so, so her, her big, um, her big niche in this industry is face sitting. Like, Which is, so they're strapped down. Can give a, give a descriptive. So if, so basically if you were to go to our clip store, you would see this in most of our clips. There's what we call a smother bench, right? I'll link it in the, if you're listening to this <laughs> podcast, look at the link that I just linked below. I can link it to the oh, podcast. Gotcha. Okay. So they cool. can look. Yeah, but- I mean, I, I can I can tell you the handle or whatever, or after the or what whatever you want to do. But um, yeah, so basically, one of the features that my wife is known for is her behind. Very very just to to be to be, <laughs> to be very straightforward frank. about <laughs> it. And a lot of our early videos were her doing that to me. I might be tied to the bed and she'll she'll sit on my face basically, and I'm holding my breath. And so mm. like half of my job right now is just being able to hold my breath for a really long time. Is that dangerous? Um, honestly, that isn't too dangerous. I think usually if you really need to get out, um, you can, like the bench, it could be if somebody really wanted to like keep you there. But, um, in most situations, if it's just on a bed or something, it's not that hard to turn your head to the side or push somebody off. Oh, I see. Could you, I feel like you could break a nose like that though. My nose has been bent around quite a bit. I feel like it does. Um, It has never been broken from it, but, um, there have been moments where I'm, yeah. It's like vigorous smashing, like so somebody's tail. Every once in a while, somebody's tailbone really gets me good. Oh, um, <laughs> I saw a video of you getting choked out once. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So we do a lot of wrestling with this too. Yeah. And, and so honestly, going back to Dee's um, stuff real quick, like face sitting and scissor holds like from wrestling oh, are two cool. big things that she does. Um, but yeah, so I guess being in this business and having face sitting as a primary niche session wrestlers who travel this country who are very talented many of them are well-trained fighters even um most of them are pretty cool with like non-nude face sitting scenes so we just shoot these over and over and over again um people literally collect this one specific trademark clip that we have mm-hmm. where i'm in this bench and d has a new friend come <laughs> in and th- for no good reason i'm just in this bench you know and- <laughs> as you would be <laughs> And just post it up. Just waiting. playing all these games where I'm getting smothered left and right, you know. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, but, like, we do book a lot of session wrestlers. And some, it's purely fantasy where I'm either going to be bound going in and they can just kind of, like, put me in holds. 
Um, some I act like I'm wrestling, but like obviously I'm not going too hard because I might be twice someone's size and they may not be super well trained. Mm. However, we have I've, there's been at least two wrestlers I've worked with that have basically said, "Come at me, bring it." You and know? They, they fucked your shit up. I'm 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 over 200 pounds. I sh- I look like I should have no problem at least holding my own or at least defending myself. Yeah. Um, one performer. This woman is like 41 years old. Mm washboard abs like bodybuilder and i joked that i was going to try to last for two minutes and she two minutes I, I didn't even joke i was like i think i could probably just like push you away from me and like not end up in some kind of hold where i have to tap out i'm just i'm not even trying to be aggressive i'm just trying to like defend Get you off yeah and and she's just like smirking just like laughing at me like you have no chance of lasting you, two minutes you triggered her game plan oh like she, it, she almost took it as a well she did take it as a challenge and 20 seconds later I'm in this like crazy arm bar where it's like, okay, you're going to rip my arm off if I don't tap right now. So, and then we did it again and now I'm in a chokehold and then we did it again. And this was supposed to be a 10 minute video because we're selling this. And I had tapped out for four, the fourth time and I'm getting really tired because she's just like on my back. Like, well, putting... defending wrestling or grappling is mm-hmm. exhausting. Like, oh. you know, I watched the UFC anytime yeah. you're defending, that's when they're the most tired. I, I like I work out a little bit like I'm not like in the best best shape right now but I'm usually pretty capable of holding my own. I looked up at the timer thinking that okay wait this needs to be a 10 minute video you've made me tap out four times we must be 7 minutes in. Mm. And I look at the timer and it's like 3 minutes <gasps> and 25 seconds. You're like, doing a free grapple session right now. <laughs> like that is a full workout class. It killed me. And and so at this at that point I'm just like just put like I didn't say this verbally, but she knew that like, like I'm exhausted. Now you get to put me in any hold you want because I'm not even fighting back. Yeah. And she's putting me in like camel clutches and like. Oh, what's a camel my... clutch? It's like where you, you're basically like over somebody's knees, like they're on your back and oh. your hands go behind their knees and they can like grab your chin and lift up on it. Right. Or they'll grab my like literally like the inside of my lips like fish hook and like oh. just make me look like a complete idiot you yeah know? and so that's my job is just to pretty much just that's get work fun, over. it's a blast i mean i've i've had um i have been ko'd four times never none of them on purpose so just um, choked out yeah because like i i try to like tough it out and get through a video and if it doesn't hurt i just sort of i don't know when it's going to happen you know and yeah. one one person did it with the actual scissor hold between her thighs <gasps> And then everybody else did it with like a rear naked choke more yeah, traditionally. Of course. That that's a much more easy way to do yeah. it. Um, but but yeah. scissor choke, that's yeah. impressive. And, and and it I I was basically snoring. I I didn't know where I was for like five seconds. So <gasps> that's kinda of scary though. It is, it is. Are there we, any precautions? Like are you like, hey, if I get knocked out, do this thing? This or? is definitely a don't try this at home type of thing. Because <laughs> you're right. This is not something that I take lightly or that we take lightly. No, I know you don't. Um but it is what helps a lot is if you have other people in the scene. Like if you if you're if a dominant sub are shooting like a scene that involves choking or something like that, it's a little scary because if, if they are applying a chokehold and the person does go out, nobody is there to witness it or see it. Right. So and they're if you holding don't have it the longer. right angle. But if but in, in this case, like the one where I went out um, with the scissor hold, um, that model's partner was actually filming it. And my partner was also in the scene. So there were two other people that the moment they realized that like, I was like twitching a little bit. Steve or whatever, is twitching. Yeah. It's like, it's like, he's out, you know, <laughs> let it go. Um, so uh, two of them were let go so quickly that I didn't lose any time at all. Two of them, I was out faster than anybody realized. And oh, I definitely got slapped a little bit. And I was okay. You know, this does happen. But 
The um, afterwards, do you feel like hungover? Like, is there any type of like headache or? No, fortunately, fortunately, bounced back pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in all cases, everybody's been responsible enough to, to catch it. Yeah. Quick and somebody bring me a glass of water and then we shoot another clip, you know. <laughs> you go get, you're persistent. Keep going. You Do know? you get joy out of filming things like that? Like does it is it at all sexually pleasing? I don't know the proper word for that, I, I guess. I always had curiosity when I was younger and like I would purchase stuff like that. I was always curious early on, like, this seems kinda hot, I want to experience it. And you would think that like throughout my entire career that I would maintain that mentality. I would say, honestly, beyond the first two or three shoots, it really became a very, it always was professional, but it's even more so now. Like I, the only time I really in a scene feel like sort of like sexually into something is when it's required for the scene. Like if we're shooting a ruined orgasm scene and I need to get into the headspace. Right. Like I need to have a boner right like, now. I'm supposed to have a boner right now. Yeah. So I will do that, you know? And even then it's like, I need to clear my head. I need to feel safe focus. and comfortable with the people Let's around kiss me. kiss a little. Like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've, I've, I've had doms be like, you know, what can I do to get you into this headspace? Because she knows that I'm not going to naturally get into it if I know that the cameras are on and the lights are on. Um, if anything... I will probably get more into it when I'm editing it mm. and I'm seeing what happened to me and I don't have From to worry about From another perspective and you're not yeah. worried about how you're looking on camera. Like the clip where I'm in a vac bed, I never got to see it in the first place. So it's kind of cool to see that. Later. A vac bed is like basically a huge like latex. It's a latex? Yeah, it's a big latex like sleeping bag almost and where they, they suck, they suck the air it out, out with the vacuum and it's like skin tight. Like, you have a little breathing hole and then all of a sudden like I have, you know, Lucy and my partner just like on top of me making out and I can hear it, but like <laughs> Oh, you're under. I'm under. I'm in there and I don't have my eyes. I, That's I can, hot though. Oh, it's super hot. Like that clip is done really well. It's a, it's, it, it's a lot of fun to do. Um, I guess the other answer to your question in terms of whether I get into something, it depends on the personal relationship, uh, honestly. That there, I would say there are three or four performers that I have maybe more of a kink chemistry with mm. where it's safe and acceptable right. to get into it that way. But if we're booking somebody that we've never worked with before, like a, a wrestler that we've never seen before or don't have a close relationship with, we shoot the clip and I get sat on or whatever they're going to do to me and it's fun and it's hot. But in that moment, no, I, I really do shut it off. I was wondering if it's different for people on the other end of it. Cause I know a lot of people with vaginas, like, thank God I don't have to get a boner. You know, some days I'm just at work and I'm like, well, yeah. we're working. And some days, you know, something feels nice and it feels nice, but I'm not, oh, I'm going to come in this exact moment. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it's a pressure I never thought I was going to have to mm. have before. I mean, we don't shoot. I don't know, like our boundaries for shooting are pretty broad. I mean, we do shoot a lot of face sitting stuff, which is super simple, but we also do on occasion when it's with the right performer, do more sexual things. And like what? Um, well, I mean, a, a good example is just like a ruined orgasm clip where I have to be hard for that. Um, so what do they normally do? They'll like, jo- like do something to jack you off and then stop. Yeah, um, it'll. I recall one that I shot in Denver where I was basically in one of those stand-up cages in a dungeon, mm. and so like I'm just kind of like standing between the bars, and I'm locked in this cage, and both my partner and this dom were just kind of taking turns, just using their hand on me and just edging, and um, it's. I after want to lock someone in a cage. That <laughs> sounds hot. It's 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 definitely hot and it's definitely fun, but it's like if if the cameras weren't on, I would probably be more. Oh, for, I understand exactly what you mean. Yeah, and, and even in, even in the vac bed, the vac bed has a little hole for that part of me, and oh, a little if, dick hole. And so, if the clip is about edging, I do want to be able to sort of give into that headspace and allow myself mm. to get there. Um, we've had customs that have required things like that, and 
doing things that I normally wouldn't even do in my sex life. Oh and yeah. So like I'm supposed to be hogtied in some kind of way. I'm supposed to get hard at the same time. And that's yeah. what, you know, I get a lot of, um, people want me to like come and pee at the same time. Mm. And I don't know if you've ever tried to do that. I, I, <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds almost painful. It is because it's like, I'm going to ruin my orgasm to pee mm-hmm. or I'm going to not be able to pee to have an orgasm. Like there's no both for me, <laughs> but I get asked it like at least once a month, wow. at least minimum. I'm surprised at the frequency of that, but I, I guess think as I a... post pee videos on Twitter and people mm-hmm. think I, I need to get more of a niche pee store. I need to get mm-hmm. into that, but I'm scared once I open it, I'm not going to enjoy it actually sexually anymore. You know, like mm-hmm. once I start monetizing it, it's not as fun. It, it still is. You can get desensitized to anything. I'm, yep. I'm, I'm literally living... I will be the first to admit that there are tens of thousands of men who would absolutely trade places with me. And the, I'm living out on a regular basis their fantasies. But now that I've experienced it to a certain degree, you do get desensitized to it. Mm-hmm. It kind of sucks. It, it kind of does. does. Like you, There are things that you used to get really really into and now it's just like well another day at the office well that's like me with lesbian porn obviously Mm -hmm. like when i was growing up i was like this is the hottest shit in the world like scissoring it just looked hot to me obviously i love women Mm -hmm. but then i filmed so many scissor scenes and i'm like oh scissoring isn't that practical like it's hot but it's not like something that's gonna make me come in three seconds like i could when i was you know 18 i'll I'll never forget like the first times i was like face set like by somebody other than my partner and i'm just like this is like a weird amazing thing like and, that, and now it's just like you're how, like oh, another day at work how I'm many here. how many times do i have to do this today with how many different people <laughs> like be gentle on the nose with the tailbone please <laughs> yeah. people it, it it does create really fun like well, bloopers and things like yeah. that behind the scenes i also think it's like i i love that sex work gives a space for us to explore i wish as humans we weren't easily bored of things like I think with over saturation of doing things over and over and over again and extended periods of times it's not as exciting but I still enjoy it so I get the safe space to explore it which I like and the fact that you get to that point kind of means that you did it right though and had a chance to really actually explore and I I try not to take that for granted too it's like the reason why I'm desensitized to this is because I've actually had a chance to dive in and experience in a safe way and so now I'm just always looking for that next thing, you know, What's something you be. would want to try if, if it was like, like, I like scenarios in which like pretend you can get anything you want. Like if you can make it up or it's something that's already happened, what would you want? When it comes to actually like what physically it is, I honestly think that I'm getting close to a point where I've tried most things. For me, it's more about the one-on-one connections with different people and having time to explore broader mm-hmm. scenes. Like whether it be some kind of captivity scene or something like that, where it's very hard for people to make that work because we all have lives. But, you know, if I had a week where I could just go away to some remote place and play out some kind of elaborate long Like kidnapped. You know, yeah. Lucy and I and Cinnamon <laughs> actually filmed this, like, uh, POV, like we kidnapped someone and we were like, oh, you're just in the corner. <laughs> And that's probably not an accident because I know that like that's a fun one. You know? Yeah, it's a fun one for a lot of people. But like Lucy and I have obviously like you know talked about, you know, it have to be practical, obviously. But I mean, it's hard to like get away for a true week and be yeah. you know captive. Would you you want to want to be locked in a cage? Um, a little bit of playtime. I, I I just like the concept of not having the control over it. Mm. So yeah, I mean, if it was if it was one of those things where like I think I'm getting beyond the point where I can draw up my own scene. I, oh nice. Most of my own scenes that I've drawn up, like I'm literally producing my own fetish porn, right? So 
you know, me and my partner, we've come up with all these ideas and I've experienced all these things. And the reason why it sells so much is because obviously other people have these same fantasies. Right. It, we, we definitely have something going there. But for me, because I'm always, this goes back to the conversation earlier about just always feeling like you're in charge. The coolest thing that can happen for me is to have an engagement with someone that I, like Lucy's a good example. Like I don't see her all the time. Like we have a kink relationship and it's like kind of at the forefront. Um, and so my partner, I could pretty much read like a book. I, I've lived with her for 22 years. Yeah. And whatever she's plotting, I can usually see it coming. <laughs> Lucy's a little bit more mysterious because I don't always know what she's thinking. And she might throw me a curveball that mm -hmm. I don't see coming. And so that's what makes it fun. So for me... It keeps you on your toes. It almost doesn't matter what is happening. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like there are definitely some core kinks that ideally are involved but what are your core kinks my uh, two-part question mm -hmm. core kinks and do you have any hard nose that you've tried that you will never do again Ooh, okay um so my core kinks is you probably have deduced it like i i do find things like breath play sensory deprivation um orgasm control edging um all of these things to me are kind of a mind fuck. And I think that that is what really gets me is mm. somebody actually kind of playing a mind game with me. The and, psychological part you said. Yeah. And, and because my brain's always moving so fast and because I'm a poker player, it is really effing cool when somebody actually makes it challenging. Right. And you know, Lucy does that, you know, she's very smart and she kind of knows how to get in my head if she wants to. Mm. And, and just having that exist even, doesn't happen every day, but that that is hot to me so so those are the types of primary um kinks i would say they all go together like when you have orgasm control happening and you're being edged and teased like you kind of get a little desperate and then all of a sudden everything else hits you harder mm. so so that to me is like what is fun about um right. a lot of kink play for me as far as like hard nose things that i've done before and don't want to do either again. way so I try to tolerate and get through. I, I, I tell my friends, like my vanilla friends, that basically my job is like I'm on the TV show Jackass, but just way sexier. <laughs> because I do take a lot of stuff that I'm not particularly <laughs> into. That's like, so funny. Like I'm not a big trampling sub. Like I can take it really well and I get trampled all the time. Trampling's but like people running on you kind of. Jumping up and down on me, running on me, st standing on my face, you know, like things like that. I mean, like my face just on this trip from the beating that I've taken in certain cases, I can feel it, you know, like mm. it's. Um, I, like I'm durable and it always, I always heal and it's all, it's always fine, but this is a long tour that we're on right mm. now. Um, and, so, and we've shot in a few different places. Um, hard nose that I think I would never want to go near. Um, very popular kink is like CEI. What's CEI? Comedy. Like a lot, oh, of, a lot of submissives yes. are, they're into the humiliation aspect or just being made to do it. Yeah. That's kind of a hard no for me. Always has been. I don't know why. Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't appeal do to it me. For you, yeah. Um, sounding is something that oh fuck I like I have not said that it's a hard no. That just made my pussy clench in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's go, you go you put something through your urethra. Yeah, and, and and I've had a few doms just sort of being like, hey, you interested in this? And I'm just like, eh, eh, have you ever tried it? I have not tried it to date, and it's something that I've not said like hard no for sure. But I've had probably opportunities, and it has not happened yet. So we'll just say that. 
it's close enough to hard no right now. That Let I, me know if you ever do that. I want I want to know <laughs> how that feels because mm-hmm. in my head the idea of that is very scary. It is for me too, and I, and that's one of the reasons. And I know that there are people that can do it safely, and for me a lot yeah, of for it, sure that's important. For me, the big thing is if I know somebody is experienced and trustworthy, I'm more willing to try things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of those things where if someone asked me to do if someone was like, "Will you do sounding with me?" I'd be like, "You're gonna lose this in your penis because I don't know how to <laughs> exactly. do this." Exactly. And so at the very least, I would want to make sure that whoever's doing it has been there before and knows how to talk me through any concerns that I have. Um, So one thing that I hated a lot in a clip. So there was this clip. It was actually one of the one of the the doms that actually KO'd me like the very next clip. This was an intense day. Mm. Um, All on the same day. All on the same day. You're so brave, Steve. (laughs) Thank you. The clip we shot was a smother bench clip like a lot of the other ones. Like, I'm, I'm strapped into this bench. Basically, like, my face is sticking up through this, like, cushioned seat. You can't move it? Can't. There's, there's head clamps inside of it. So, like... That's scary. If you rig it up the right way, you really can't do much. There's an inflatable little pillow. And so, that alone is generally a hot clip. It's something I've done a bunch of times. It's no big deal. But on this one, I was in a bondage sack, too. Oh, so what's a bondage sack? bondage sack is, like, a big sleeping bag. There's, um... There's arm slots in the middle of it, and basically it zips up, and you're kind of just stuck, almost like you're mummified, but mm-hmm. like you're just your head sticking out, and so your legs and arms. So you can't are, even move your arms or your head or anything. And then in this case, my head is between the clamps in this box. So, <gasps> and so then my partner kind of rigged it up where she pulled my balls out because they needed to be accessible for this dom because she had a taser. Oh, so. I thought that the scary part was going to be the taser. I end up getting like sat on, smothered, and then tased. On the balls. In the balls. And yeah, it wasn't, didn't feel great. But she also had a riding crop. And that was way worse. I do not like, <laughs> I learned that I do not like being hit in the balls with a crop. It really sucks. What does that <laughs> even feel like? It, I almost, I almost safe worded out of the scene because it's just very painful. Getting, most men getting kicked in the balls or hitting the balls, it's its a brutally painful... They give you a five-minute break for a cup check in UFC, so let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Some people somehow really just have the tolerance for it, but I don't. Um, so CBT is something that, like, I can do it. Cock and ball torture. I can... I'll, I'll take I'll take kicks, but, like, if somebody gets me with one kick, I kind of need a break before they give me another one. Wow. So these are the things that don't turn me on. But I know there's people who are really into that, mm-hmm. and I wonder if they've built a pain tolerance, because if they haven't, that's fucking amazing that they can handle that. It, it really is, and you know, I, I guess I do end up getting more and more experienced with it as we go. So, I mean, I, these are some examples of things that, they're not necessarily hard limits, but I know what things that I would be interested in in my own personal life, or my own personal kink exploration, mm-hmm. and a lot of what you see in our videos, it's, like, I've done human ashtray. What like, is that? Where, like, a, a dom is... Smoking, oh, smoking and just basically like ashing in my mouth and things like that. That's and, hot. I mean, I'm not gonna lie; it ended up being hot. That one ended up being hotter than I thought it would have been, yeah. but I wouldn't have sought that one out. I can't help but think this is a lot of like mind over body type things. Mm-hmm. Like, do you get into a meditative state? Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly the the right way to to explain, especially depending on what it is. Um, a lot of the breath play mm. is very much like I need to be meditating. Um, I need to just clear my head. And... What type of breath play do you engage in? Like, can you explain it a little? So, um, going hand in hand with the smother bench with these face sitting clips, like one of our most popular clips that we've shot now with a lot of different doms is this dice game that we made up, and it's kind of fun. And so, like, 
the poker nerds and the gaming nerds probably love this too, like people like me. Because I know that was your idea. I think I did come up with it. <laughs> it goes way back, but I think I did come up with it. Nice. Um, the rules of the game are you roll a single die is rolled, and whatever the number is, you multiply by 20 seconds. And so, holy shit! And I don't get to know what the what the dice roll is. So if somebody's sitting on me, it could be twenty seconds or it could be two minutes. And they sit, they complete the sit, and then I gasp, and then they roll the dice again and just keep going. Game does not end until all six numbers have been rolled. That could be a long time. Sometimes the clip can go forty five minutes. Mm. Sometimes it can be twenty minutes. Um, but what sucks really badly is when. A six gets rolled, and then before you get all the numbers, another six gets rolled. Because every time it repeats, you still got to keep doing it. So a two minutes. So you're holding your breath for basically two minutes? Mm-hmm. Two you, whole minutes. Can you get any breath in there normally? If I wanted to absolutely panic and cheat, I might be able to like flail around enough. Like I could signal. I could get out of it if I had to. I always try to be authentic in those in those clips. So I, I am usually making it. Mm-hmm. I, I can usually do it. I need to make sure I get a good clean breath. Like first. a <sighs> yeah, and I need and I need them to not be messing with me. Sometimes I've done these videos where I'm in the bench and somebody's like standing on my stomach while I'm being smothered. So like that can't. That's happen. not a full breath of air. No, if I can't do two minutes like that if somebody's like pressing down on me. Right, maybe forty seconds max. <laughs> yeah, exactly. even that it would be hard. Sometimes even I know you're not a smoker. I'm not a smoker. Thank God that actually helps. Good lungs. <laughs> exactly. Well, you're gonna say sometimes what? Um, sometimes you could be taking a 30 second sit and it is actually brutal because you're just not mentally prepared or if you don't know when they're getting off of you or whatever. Do you, do you rehearse for this? Are you like in the bedroom? Like, I got to hold my breath for two minutes just in case this new scene is happening. At this point I don't rehearse because I've just experienced it so many times. Mm, You're comfortable in it. It used to be this high level athlete, Steve. It, you know, what's funny is I, I don't think you're complete. Like I, it's it's kind of a funny. I'm comment, not even joking. But... I mean it like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's hard. Um, I guess not hard. It's not common to have like a conversation with someone who often practice practices submissive things, does extreme things. But anytime I hear someone I'm close with or have an experience with it, and I hear, I'm like, that takes a level of, I don't know, knowing your body, being mm-hmm. aware staying calm being able to handle a lot of pain at one time it's just it's a lot of things that go into professional sports yeah you're not wrong and it's it's funny like i always just look at it from an i I do take a lot of this for granted because i just look at it from the attitude that like hey the job that i have is really unique and cool and i meet so many awesome people and i don't really focus on the physical demands of it all that much i feel like okay if it's a two-hour shoot I'll get through it. And when I get through it, I, I, great. But like a lot of people couldn't get through. You're right. A lot of people probably couldn't that, get that's through. That's what, what my therapist says. My therapist, uh, a little free therapy. She always tells me, she's like, I think you take for granted how much your body does for you. Mm-hmm. And like the fact that we use our body all day, I never think about the body aspect. I think, oh, this is long. Should I eat? You know, like, oh, I have things to do later. I'm not thinking, oh, that was a taxing thing on my body. I just did very invasive extreme thing Mm -hmm. and I feel like ever since I've been practicing after scenes I don't do it all the fucking time I'm pretty lazy normally I just put on my pjs and lay down but I try to like check in with my body and be like wait am I in pain like did I pull a hamstring because I was in a split for 30 minutes like I don't know um and that's helped a lot because I don't I feel like people forget sex work is inherently about our body and I think it's turned into things like oh you have to market you have to use your mind you have to be smart 
but we're using our bodies a lot. Yeah. And you, and you really do need to take care of yourself, especially yeah. as often as you do it. I do know that the more intense a shoot is, uh, I'm already very neurodivergent, so I'm already just kind of scattered in, in the brain sometimes. But when I have been sort of whooped up on for two hours straight, mm -hmm. um, I get very floaty and like the endorphins are just everywhere. And, and, yeah, and like uh, high. It, it gets to a point where my partner pretty much has to pick up some of my slack because it's I'm trying to set up like lighting for the next clip. But I'm also I also, just got, I also just got kicked across the room. Right, you know, choked but, out, <laughs> choked out, wrestled. Got a taser on the balls. I mean, I, I know one performer that we worked with. I, I don't know if you'll get what the terminology means, but she basically Sparta kicked me. Oh shit! Do, do you know? Do you know what that like from the movie? Yes. Like where basically, basically, I'm like on my knees and just kind of like setting myself up, and she just kicks me square in the chest, and I just go flying like a front kick. Ow! And uh, it didn't hurt that much, but it, it looked really cool because like I just. I mean, I'm again. I'm a big guy, and he flew, and I flew. I flew completely across the mat, off the side of the camera. But that, I mean, you said it doesn't hurt that bad, but I mean, it's you taking. Feel a, it. Yeah, your body is. I, can, I can't imagine you haven't bruised a rib or two. You know what I oh, mean? Oh yeah, especially with the trampling stuff. Yeah, it it, it piles up. I mean, I, I like honestly, I didn't even really even consider that I'd be talking about this on this podcast because yeah, I really I, don't think about it all that much. I don't either. I never, it's something that's been coming up from other people lately, not mm -hmm. necessarily people in the industry. I forget how body heavy this industry is, like how much we rely on our bodies. Like that performer who Sparta kicked me, um, she loved having the ability to, she asked us for permission to promo it on like her, her um, session page and, and took that video and, and then her clients are asking, like, hey, can you do this? And and she's like, that dude's a professional. You know, like, yeah. there are things that I will do, but, like, I, I'm sessioning with you for the first time. Like, no, like, there's... So, I don't want to kill you right yeah. now in the session on accident. Yeah, like, she's 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 shot with us three or four times by now and kind of knows what I can take. And, right. And so there's... A, there's she's seen your durability. Exactly. She knows. Yeah. Do you ever get people commenting on your social media as being like, I wish I was you or, like... All the time. They do all the time. Um, I get. I mean, it's more. It's more D's social media where lucky. What What do I need to do to be in this position? And the funny thing is, a lot of time it's like Booker. That like that's all you have to do. Right. Um, you know, send her an email, follow the protocols, and you can actually experience a lot of what we do. Not everything, because obviously some of the more sexual things, like she's not just going like, to do yeah. um, for you know random clients. But you know, there are plenty of things that are in our videos that are offered. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it's very flattering at times and sometimes probably for her annoying because I think, I think a lot of doms have a pet peeve about random, like reply guys saying, um, lucky because a lot of times the person who is experiencing this is actually putting in a lot of effort, work, respect. They're also working. You know? Yeah. I think people think it's like, I literally in the episode with cinnamon, I don't know what the timestamp is. I was saying bottoms. I, I just said bottoms, but this also is submissive. Bottoms are the bravest people. People that are holding it down in the scene and taking it, which <laughs> is a submissive normally or a bottom or whatever. Right. They are doing just as much work, if not more. Yes, normally I'm out of breath. I'm fucking working. I'm, you know, I'm I'm in there. I'm, I'm, I'm holding it down on my end as a top. Mm -hmm. But I need a bottom to top. And I also need someone willing to be able to take it in order for it to look good. So right. when people are like, oh, well, she, she's so lucky. It's like, she's working. 
she's doing every like the same for you like you're in there working I'm, I'm genuinely proud of the output um and so i don't spend a lot of time thinking about it but when i think about what we've accomplished in even three years since we both started showing our face and, and producing content um I now know that every single video that we make, every single sacrifice I make where I'm sacrificing my body or, and not everything is super intense. I mean, I, I'm in a lot of scenes that are just sexy that I'm not doing shit. I'm going to be honest about that. I'm in a lot of very fortunate places that, you know, yeah, I, I guess I am pretty lucky. Right. But, um, but a lot of, a lot of the time we do shoot, it isn't, it is physically intense. And I just know that it's super cool making the preview gifts now. Oh like, yeah. It, like, you I, edit your scenes? I edit all my scenes and I edit all the... One of the if, if you go to that clip store, one of the things that you're going to notice is that the, the preview GIFs are not... I don't use the typical um, clip store um, preview maker. I manually do it myself. Mm. All of them, if it's an action scene, all of them are 25 seconds. And I take little bits of like action from the clip. And it really does capture all of the stuff that happened in that clip. And I think it looks awesome. Like an amazing little preview. Like one of these clips was a bondage wrestling clip. And it's just like, you probably don't even know what that is, but basically there's rope on the mat and I'm wrestling this person. And the goal is to have the other person tied up. And then once they're tied up, you can, but I'm fighting it. Like I'm trying to get her off of me and you are, but she's like really strong. She, she's a rock climber. Like she knows, she knows the technique and I don't. And next thing you know, I don't have my left arm anymore. And then I don't have my right arm anymore. And now I'm just being scissored and, you know, <laughs> sat on and squeezed and stuff. But I love making the preview. Like, that's a 10, 15-minute scene. One of the most fun things for me is to, like, just chop it up and find these, like, really cool action shots. Yeah. And then, then I see the clip selling 100 times. And I'm like, okay. like it I actually love editing trailers, too. Because mm -hmm. I feel, in, in a short little time span, I feel more, like, excited about it. Yeah. Watching it as a whole is kind of daunting. It's like, fuck, this is long to edit. I know if you consume it, you like it, but to edit when you're in it, it's like, okay. It's, this it's is... the fruits of your labors. Like you yeah. spend all this time filming, you spend all the time like figuring out, you know, what time you're going to shoot and making sure you're coordinating with all these people. And then you have all this footage, you need to edit it. And we shoot multi-cam, so there's four different cameras and mm. I have to sync the audio and all of that. And then when I finally get to the end where I'm making that preview gift, everything else is done. Right, it's like freedom. Like, and, and, oh, here we go. And now we just get to make money off of it, and it's passive income. It's the income. final stretch. I agree. I want to go back a little because I forgot mm -hmm. to talk to this, talk to you about this. Is sure. I know you said you guys were doing faceless stuff for a long time. What mm -hmm. made you decide to start showing your faces? So, um, originally, when we started the clip store, I had a upper management accounting job, and my partner was a teacher in the public school system at home. And there was no chance we were ever going to show our faces. And her teaching job in particular is extremely stressful. She has classes of, you know, classes that are larger than they should be, inner city. Um, That's hard. You know, dealing with parents, dealing with, with kids fighting, um, doing working on lesson plans till midnight. And I had reached a point where I was earning enough in my accounting job that I just said, you know what, quit. Mm. We'll figure it out. Um, right. we, we did have the clip store, but the goal wasn't quit and be a sex worker. It was quit. And for a while she was like teaching Chinese kids online, mm. didn't make much money off of it, but then eventually she starts camming and then pick, it picks up and we just sort of made a decision. So like at the time I was still going to be faceless. Nobody really cares that much what I look like anyway, but her taking off a mask was huge. You know, that was, we went to FETCON in 2019 and that was right around the time that, um, that was after the summer that she finally quit her job. And we just decided you don't need to go back. 
you know, teaching is not, it's burned you out. It's just not something that you need to go Overwork, back to. Overworked, underpaid. And, and at the time, I felt like I could just keep doing accounting for as long as I needed to. So she came, she unmasked in 19. And then in early 2020, my company laid off my whole department and outsourced it. And I got a severance and I could have gone and looked for another upper management accounting job somewhere. And I just thought about it. I looked at what she was earning on cam. I realized that I don't have as much time as I would like to, to travel with her to film. And I, similar to what you what we were talking about earlier, I just felt like this is intimidating, but I'm going to take the leap. Right. And so it's weird for me though, because I guarantee you lots of my old accounting friends who are now partners and who are senior managers and who are doing really, really well for themselves, who were like right there side by side with me, most of them know what I do now. They do? Enough friends of mine have kind of like gossiped, I feel like. And <laughs> I like being out like that to some degree though. Yeah. I really do. I don't... If, I, I feel the same way. If you've been my friend for 10 years and you were friends with me when I was an accountant and you can't be friends with me now because I'm making fetish porn then how much of a friend were you? Right, that says more about them than you. And so I love it when I find somebody that I feel like is going to be weird about it and they just want to ask questions. I agree. I absolutely love that. I find it, it shows me who someone is based on their reaction about my work. Yeah, And exactly. even if it's no, like, even if it's a very mild reaction, I think that's a compliment. Someone who's like, mm -hmm. okay, cool. Um, is there anything I could do? As long like, as it's chill and not passive aggressive. Right. It's yeah. not like, oh, you do that. It's like, oh, so you didn't care who I was as a person before I did this. I think a lot of people, too, assume when I say that I make fetish porn or something, they just have an idea in their mind that is nothing close to what is actually happening. Well, you say fetish porn. Like, the first thing I thought of was right now, because I just talked about mm -hmm. it yesterday, was like shit porn. Yeah, Which, yeah. And, I'm, and I'm in this industry. And, like, that's mm -hmm. what I was thinking. So I know people outside of this industry are like fetish porn there's so much nuance to it and there's so many right. different niches and, and fetish so is such a general it is and, 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 I, and I, I use that term because i don't want to just be like i film face sitting smothering in ruined orgasm videos you know like, <laughs> like they're gonna be like what you, you start know? listing things. <laughs> like no, there's, there's so many more that no, like, fetish content is completely right to say but yeah. but even me thinking that i people outside of this industry are probably like oh what the fuck are you doing and and, and honestly even what you said like like we've, we do have some pee stuff. We have mm. some, uh, you know, like we do. You drank some pee? I've done that a, a few <laughs> times. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> didn't expect that direct question, but yeah. Um. <laughs> I like filming. I think um, it's interesting because I really enjoy lifestyle dominating. Like I enjoy being very much like if I could, anyone that I'm in love with, I would pay for their whole life and be like, you're in my care just show up like I really like that type of domination I guess but for some reason I love getting peed on because it feels humiliating in like the hottest way like it's very much like oh you're just doing this on me and I don't really I mean I could move but like I'm already here you know yeah it for me it's one of those things that you know it, it doesn't appeal on the surface but when I am it, again with that head spacing like if I've been edged for an hour and I'm being dominated and I'm tied up and I'm bound it's almost like this act of degradation that mm -hmm. gets really, really effing hot at that point. It does. Because it, it's like a complete, like it, it, you're being degraded in like a physical sense. Like yeah. it's not verbal. I mean, you could talk shit to me while you pee on me, whatever. But <laughs> it's mostly the act itself. Yeah. 
like that to me is and that's why I, I really think people who have like shit scat fetishes I kind of I understand it not in a way that I want to do it but I understand that it's probably the same for them like mm-hmm. it's inherently gross and they think that oh you're shitting on, like you have complete control of the situation I'm just here I get it I feel like it's it's helped me understand other people's fetishes nothing can mm-hmm. really scare me at this point yeah, same. You know, I definitely don't engage in all of it, but, you know, it, it, and also the people who do engage, even with that topic, for some of them, it may be a, a dom sub thing and a power exchange thing. Yeah. For some of them, there just may be something else about it. And yeah. for, for me, anything like that, it, it is definitely like a power exchange thing. Like I, yeah. I, I find, I want to find it off putting to the point where I'm being made to take this, you know? Right. Like, oh, 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 I'm just here. Okay. I, I will never eagerly be like, please give me the pee. You know, like it, I, that's, I always joke about that in the shower. I'm like, we're in the shower. <laughs> but then, then that's not even hot. That's just like, oh, you're just doing this. Cause I asked, like, I think it's hot to be, I don't know, not forced to, but yeah. you know, well, I mean, honestly, uh, I would even use that word, even though we're not allowed to use it in any clip descriptions either. I mean, it's, it's forced, but it's consensual going in. Right. Well, I was talking about this last, literally yesterday, I filmed an episode with Tay. And how do you feel when people make force content, uh, rape, whatever, force voyeurism, and they don't imply that it is, there was consent before they did it? So if they were to just film a scene that just looks like it was for, and, and there, there's yeah. nothing else in terms of. With just the word like force. Some kind of disclaimer. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, I, I, I have. In general, I've I've seen a lot of cases where a production company goes out of their way to show the people who participated in the scene right. afterwards or prior to. I think that's safe. I think that is the best approach to it, especially it will, depending on the, the the level of you know intensity. Exactly. Yeah. When you film scenes like that, people always know you're consenting. Yeah, I think so. I think I think it also helps even just. I actually like having my own voice now. It, 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 for the longest time, I was just... I haven't even told you my handle yet in the industry, but it's dummy. Okay? And <laughs> oh, like, I know that. I follow you on Twitter. Right, right. Exactly. So, <laughs> so like, I, I'm, I'm playing this character, and I don't really feel... Like, people honestly believed that my personality was that of this masked dummy character. And now that I've unmasked, actually, it's pretty refreshing because I just feel like I'm out there as myself a little bit more. People... There's actually an LA Dom that we're probably going to see tomorrow that we that also flew um, to us and shot with us, and she knew me personally, and so she just started calling me Steve in a scene one day, mm. and I, I'm like, okay, you know what? It's fine. Like my name is Steve. There are a lot of Steves out there. I can, I don't mind having my name out there. Yeah. I actually almost prefer it. Um, but, yeah, you're Steve in my head. Steve. Right, exactly. So so dummy ends up being this like character, but. I think that the fact that I actually have an opportunity to tweet as myself now, like right. my sex work Twitter is actually more and more becoming my regular Twitter because this is my community now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my old vanilla life is no longer what well, it was. Well, it starts getting in, intertwined in a way that you're like, well, is that me? Is that work? Yeah. Who am I? I spend more time as my authentic self right here. Like right. on this podcast, this is probably more me than most of my vanilla friends even know of me, right? Mm. Um, so, well, because you get to be honest. That's the good yeah. thing about being in this industry. So, so people hear me talk or people, you know, engage with me, they very clearly understand what goes into what we're doing. Like we shoot a video, it's called three taps and I do a fake pass out every single time. Mm. And you can't really pass somebody out from face sitting unless you're being really dangerous about it. Like, unless you're just not letting them breathe for minutes on end. And 
you're going to panic. And in, in reality, there's loads of fake pass outs in clips like that. Right. But the game is I'm allowed to tap out three times. And after I tap out the third time, they don't have to get up. Oh, and so shit. I flail for like a minute and a half, but I'll put my arms down and that's the signal. Get up. Right. Um, and now one of the clip sites actually makes it so that I have to show myself moving before. Um, and that's actually probably not a bad rule. You no, know? I think that's really safe. Because some people actually do believe. Um, well, then they you know. want to either do that to someone. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, if they want to have it done to them, that's their choice. But I think the action of wanting to recreate that on someone else is when it gets dangerous. And it's eye-opening how now Dee has her session clients and a lot of them want to play that game. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, we can play that game, but... Just so you know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to actually <laughs> sit on you. That's a liability also, let it alone is. dangerous. That's like what happens if something happens, right? Like that's yeah. then it's on you. So you have to be safe. And it's it's scary. We all understand that what we do involves risk. Um, I could get hurt anytime I film. You know, there's there's always things that can go wrong and we all accept those risks. But you need to at least be informed before you go into a scene and understand, um, you know, what is safe and what is not like you don't want to be reckless mm. we've made mistakes i mean again like you know a few of those ko's that happened like ideally like we just kind of came out on the other end and we're just like all right well this is why it happened this way maybe we can be more careful about this the next time yeah because you know? i'm not trying like nobody's trying to make me you know completely incapacitated to the point where it's doing damage nobody needs you've that. never broken a bone not not filming no <laughs> outside though. softball one time but no not <laughs> bad though that's a pretty good i've, I've had a, i've had a good run of not breaking things and i hope to continue that okay knock on wood yeah, for exactly. you. this isn't even wood i'm sorry <laughs> but i i think you're with someone who's safe so it's good yeah absolutely the, the, i trust the people in my circle um, for the last part of this mm-hmm. okay so if you're i feel like people are gonna find this boring so i wanted to ask you at the end okay. you have saved my life with taxes <laughs> And you help a lot of other sex workers with taxes. Mm-hmm. Can you do like a really quick dummy rundown of if you are struggling and you're in sex work and you have absolutely no fucking idea of what you should do? Mm-hmm. I feel like you're a good person for that. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, any self-employed business puts people in a really challenging spot, especially when you're like in your 20s and you've never really had to deal with anything <laughs> like this before. Yeah. If you if you work at a restaurant or if you work at, you know, anywhere, you know, a vanilla job, you're getting taxes taken out of your paycheck. Right. And it's really sort of unfair. Nobody gets educated on this. You know, going in, if you're just starting, just always remember that the money that you're earning isn't all yours. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I thought of that when I started. Very few people really understand the money hits your bank account and you just figure, well, what's the worst that can happen? And the next thing you know, you have this liability mm-hmm. just sitting there waiting for you whenever you finally get around to it. So, I mean, I guess to answer your question, it sort of depends on like the severity of like how much time has passed, you know, whether you've like paid your taxes, whether you're preparing to pay your taxes for the first time. Um, no, best piece of advice is don't ignore it. Mm-hmm. If you know somebody like me, I can talk like the way that you and I started talking about this. We just started talking about it, right? Like, yeah, it's funny. I knew you in that way before I knew what you did in sex work. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lucy, this is one one of the the fun things about you know having an own sub is Lucy sort of had fun with it. Yeah, she's like, hey, I have this, um, you know, this peer in L.A. who needs help with taxes. Would you mind helping her with taxes? And 
You were very helpful. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I was able to I be gave, helpful. I gave you some, some words, some good words to Lucy. I said, <laughs> he's amazing. Thank you for letting me borrow. Quick, quick sidebar. Um, the one thing I meant to tell you in terms of unmasking, the first time I unmasked was because we were shooting with Lucy. Really? Be- because, because we had already established like our, our, our kink relationship and you kind of want it to be special. So mm. um, when, when she flew to us and we shot for the first time, that was the first time I ever filmed without a mask. That so feels beautiful. It was, I wanted it to be like that. That gave me chills. That's very sweet. It was very cool. But, um, but yeah, I've also helped, I've helped, you know, I'll help anyone high level with taxes. Obviously I don't run a tax preparation business, but no. I do think that there are plenty of people out there that have enough knowledge that the worst thing you can do is sit there being afraid about it. That's what I did. Yeah, and Feels I think that's so what much most people better do. after. Like I would even if it even if the news is bad, even if you know you owe a ton of money, I think people have it in their heads that if they just ignore it it will go away or you know, whatever. That's what I thought. And, or just hope that it does. I was like, please just like is it like when you have like a debt for seven years and it goes away? <laughs> it just disappears, yeah. And and so you know, Anybody, anybody can sit here and just say, don't ignore it, pay your taxes, you know, set aside money. It's not that simple for people. A lot of people maybe didn't have the ability to save money for the first year that they were a sex worker. Right. And then their bank account does not have enough in it to cover what they owe. You still want to file, you know, you still want to file. You still want to limit the ability for the government to um, assess penalties against you. And then you just need to talk to somebody who can walk you through it. And so I'm, I'm obviously one of those people who has been able to really like, I've, I've probably four or five people that I would just consider friends within this industry that I've helped walk through. And I almost feel like by working with them, some of them actually can help their friends right. just high level. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just such a, it's a, it's a definitely loaded topic. There's a lot that yeah. can be said about it, but if you, I would say just in a general way, like mm-hmm. turbo tax, whatever, like yep. just it, things that you think could help someone if they're really like stressed about it coming up yeah. on tax season. So, so one thing about how I helped you is instead of just doing your taxes, I walked you through how to do it in TurboTax. Mm-hmm. TurboTax is probably as good as anything, um, that it's worth, it's worth just trying. Yeah. Walk yourself through it. You don't have to file it the moment you like. No, Turbo, the if, if you had not, so say you had said do TurboTax on your own, mm-hmm. I might have freaked out, but truly it helps you in a way that it lays it out for you. Mm-hmm. You can't really fuck up that much, truly. Yeah. And it, it gives you opportunity to fill things in or what have you bought? How much of your house have you used for filming or whatever it is? And those are, those are the things too, is just being aware of where your write-offs are. If you travel a lot for sex work, if you do collabs, if you buy lingerie, if you, yeah, I mean, there, there are definitely rules about accounting that can be gray. Like if, if, if you would buy makeup anyway, technically makeup isn't a write-off, but if you're buying some very specific makeup, I've saved all my Sephora receipts for this year because I don't wear makeup on my days off. And that's the thing. If that makeup, you know, is particularly special for a scene or just simply you would not wear it in your day-to-day life, that's the argument. Now, the IRS could come at you and challenge you on any one of these things. You just have to have a valid... Just send them a selfie of me and fake lashes and say, do you think I wear this every day? Stupid. Side, side note, I actually think it would be... I do not want to be audited. I'll just put that out there. Nobody does. I'm an auditor myself by trade. But part of me is just like, how hilarious would it be... If they audit To be audited. For me in particular, because I'm just... 
They're I'm, like, why'd you buy this $500 latex? <laughs> I'm like, this is the receipt. This is called a smother bench. <laughs> um, this is a vac bed. Um, if you would like to see the scenes that we filmed in it and the money that the clip has made, I can show you. And, and I, I just sort of feel like an IRS auditor, if they're really cool, they're just going to be like, all right, you know what? You're good. Yeah. This is the best audit I've ever done. Or other people are just going to be completely freaked out. and like, you know what? You're good. I like, have I don't no even want to look at this. I, I need to pray. I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. I'm praying for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like doing a little Hail Mary. Exactly. But yeah, I, I guess um, getting, back to, getting back to advice on taxes. Understand that if you're a person who has ignored taxes for a year, two years, three years, you're not alone. There's people like that left and right. They don't just get thrown in jail. It's not how it works. You ultimately are in a situation where it's similar to having a student loan. Let's just be real. Like not everybody can pay off their student loans all at once. Not everybody can pay their tax liability all at once. And the IRS knows that there are people that are self-employed that never thought about taxes and that are up against it. They will work with you. Yeah. But this, the sooner you can file and get caught up, the better. And there are probably a lot of professional service providers out there, some good, some bad, who can help with this. Um, but it may not even come to that. Like, you may be able to do it yourself with somebody just kind of holding your hand a little bit, but don't with ignore it. a payment it. plan too? Yeah. Ultimately, if you owe a lot, it's probably going to end up being a payment plan. They know that you can't pay it all at once. They just want you to not ignore them and ultimately operate in good faith. Why do we have taxes? Why do we have taxes yeah. in general? Well, I mean, I think that a lot of the tax revenue that the government pulls in is can be squandered, but I mean, it it goes towards like roads. And ro yeah. I mean, it goes towards infrastructure. It goes towards, um, it would be nice if more went towards things like healthcare and things like that. But, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I always know. wondered that, like I, I wasn't taught that in school. There's we're just a, like kind of, a lot of us are like on TikTok and we're just paying our taxes and we're like, what the fuck a is lot, this? A lot goes to military. I mean, let's be real. You know, like there's a lot of things that like if we could rearrange the pie chart in terms of where the money all goes, um, we would, but ultimately that's just legally determined by yeah. lawmakers and, and uh, you know, there's a budget and a lot of that comes from tax revenue and we all owe it whether we work. Do we ever vote on where our tax dollars go? Um, I feel like you can vote for candidates who will advocate for one thing or another, but it's not like a direct vote most of the mm -hmm. time, unless you're talking about like a, a school. It's not very democracy like of us. No, I mean, I, I feel like we have opened up a can of worms at this point. <laughs> no, I was just wondering because I feel like a lot <laughs> of also the thing about taxes and sex work is like, so say your primary income is from OnlyFans. OnlyFans takes 20 percent. And then let's yep. just assume taxes takes at least 30 percent. Mm -hmm. Every paycheck you put half away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you make $10,000, you make $5,000. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. $10,000 was spent on you for sure. You only see 8,000 of it. And of that 8,000, 30% of that may very well go to taxes, depending on how much money you make in a year. And it's frustrating. And, and the, the reality is that's what happens in your vanilla job too. Mm. Um, to some degree. I mean, that company is making boatloads of profit off of you yeah. that you never see. Mm. And you're getting your hourly wage or your salary or whatever it is. Right. I mean, that's how I used to work at a big four accounting firm. I mean, those partners, some of them are making, I mean, I don't even want to, I don't even want to guess at this point what some partners are making, but you know, my, my, my starting salary out of college was $40,000 a year. And right. I was, they were, I'm pretty sure they were charging $200 an hour for my time to clients. Mm. I wasn't getting paid $200 an hour. No, that's <laughs> why I, I love when people are like, you're just using your body for money. And I'm like, oh, everywhere you're employed mm -hmm. is fucking using you for money. Absolutely. No matter what it is, you just have to decide if that's what you like. I, I think that honestly, 
on average sex workers and, and I understand there's a wide variety of different cases but I think on average um, you know a sex worker who has actually put a lot of like time effort and thought into their business and you know is building something and I mean you're managing your own business and you have this autonomy like you're being way less used than people than, it's in our control yeah I, I mean I'm using myself I had to answer to people that I did not respect mm. left and right Sometimes just because they were there for longer than me. Right. And that's um, just how the cookie crumbles, if you yeah. will. And, and, and if you want to get involved in that rat race, that's the game. I mean, I could have stuck around and tried to make partner and kissed a lot of ass. And, mm. you know, for me, and I'm not saying everybody who makes partner has like necessarily like completely like, you know, disrespected themselves or anything like that. Cause I'm sure that if some of my friends listen to this, like they're going to be like, why are you trash talking accountants i don't think it's trash talking i understand exactly the sentiment like everyone in some way or another could do what they do if they don't enjoy it and you know work their their way up whatever it could be in Mm -hmm. mcdonald's you know you could be the manager and then you can you know start doing other things but in sex work when we're working our way up it's like by our own control with things we like with people we love to work with and scenes we enjoy to shoot i if there's one thing that my vanilla friends really need to understand better it's that we really genuinely love what we do we are creating art it's not the type of art that you maybe are envisioning in your mind though but yeah i mean art is subjective we're having fun we're meeting cool people i mean i i think that people don't understand how many awesome people operate in in this industry they don't i i feel like i try like even if my family will ask well like and they're very don't ask don't tell but they still want to know about my life so i'll be like oh i was on this shoot with this girl and they're like oh okay just a girl and i'm like you don't understand like some of the people i meet i have the most interesting conversations with i can trust wholeheartedly with anything i want to tell them and like it's very hard to explain that to people who are not in this industry it is, and I'm trying harder more and more because I do not want to keep maintaining these like fake relationships. And yeah. so, like as Same. of as of like a month ago, like my mom knows about Lucy. Mm. Now she doesn't know all the ins and outs. No, but she knows. But she knows that there are these like because all my other friends would have come around by now and you know if i bring an accounting friend around no one asks questions no big deal i bring a dominatrix and people are mad yeah exactly and the reality is that dominatrix is one of my best friends in the world right you know like all 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 kink and things that make people feel weird aside just as human as every everybody else and um you know i i do find that i find people who are thinking for themselves and pursuing their dreams and doing what works for them much more so than people who are stuck in this bubble following this prescribed life. Right. But I think we're, we're the minority in that way. Like we we have, it's because again, it's just like the feeling you had the same feeling I had when I went to the strip club, the same feeling you had when you went into poker. It's like, once you experience that freedom of what I thought I had to be and you get to experience what I want to be, Mm -hmm. it's hard to explain that to someone. The liberal, like the, the liberation, the feeling of like, oh, I have control over this. And the reality is it's not for everyone. I, I, I don't think it is at all. Exactly. And, and so it's, it's easier for us to sit here and, and just say, I'm definitely not trying to say this is this is the only path. Like there are a lot of people that need that structure. It's the quote where they're like, 
uh, oh, you want to be self-employed? Okay, you hate nine to fives? Okay, quit and be work 24 hours a day for yourself and then see if that's what you enjoy. Because self-employment, which is what sex work is, is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's more work. It's tougher. I mean, it's physical on the body. You know, you're always in front of a camera. You're meeting with new people. It's a whole other thing. There's never a shortage of things to do. Oh, mm-hmm. I can always find something to do. I mean, it was 11.30 last night and I was editing this picture because in the background my cat was in it. And I was like, <laughs> fuck, I can't. I don't want to post this online, you know, while I'm nude. This is obviously I live with a cat, but like you don't know what people are into. So I'm scared and I'm edit. It's like 11.30 and I am in bed going to bed. And I'm like, oh, now I need to answer these messages because if I send out this picture, then the people think I ignored them. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, fuck, mm-hmm. I forgot to promote on Twitter. And it's like no matter what, there's something There's something I always feel I can be doing more. And this highlights my ADHD tendency to have 20 tabs open on my web browser every single day. If I open my computer right now, you would be scared. I was like Googling because the word um, controversial looked wrong to me. And I had to Google it in six different places just to make sure I didn't spell it wrong. (laughs) I do that too. Because I was like, fuck, this is starting to look like not a real word. Like I need to. So the tabs, that's the same for me. I do the, yeah. And I, and I think that that is actually probably a common theme amongst a lot of us is we, we, we we're capable and enjoy the multitasking to a certain degree and the chaos keeps me stimulated it really in more does. ways than one. It you really does. I mean? Your cat's awesome, by the way. <laughs> Monkey was loving Steve. She's like, ah, oh, what's a vac seal? <laughs> got, a, got a very warm welcome from Monkey today. So yeah, she's, she loves people. I'm so glad. I, I, I really want another cat actually, but I am so scared that Monkey's going to be mad at me that I'm not getting one. I'm scared she's going to be resentful at me and not like hang out with people when they come in. Well, monkey's calling the shots. <laughs> like, but No, literally. Well, thank <laughs> you for being on here. I feel like we covered a lot more than I thought we would. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's absolute privilege to be here and had a lot of fun with it. I'll link. Hey, if you're listening this far, click <laughs> on his little clip store. Cause I think it would be interesting for people to see. They hear you right now and to see you doing your work and what you're amazing at. So, It'd be super awesome. Thank you. Bye.